about 15 or 16 years old in high school, uh, I, as one of my electives, what I did is I volunteered for a peer tutor. And what that is, is uh, where you basically work with students in the special needs classroom at the high school. Now I already knew Nick, and so this was something I thought was just a natural opportunity for me to spend some time with him and, and to just to volunteer my time in there. Through my time in volunteering in his class and, and spending time with his family and having conversations with his parents, I realized that there was a path for me that I didn't realize existed. And so it was because of them that I went to college. And it's because of them that I was able to get a degree in special education. Uh, and it's because of them that I'm able to be where I am today as a principal of two elementary schools in Warwick County. As life moved on, the challenge that we had with our relationship is that when I hit 16, I got my driver's license, as did everybody else, but Nick didn't. And then when it got time to graduation, I moved off and went to college, and Nick didn't. Uh, after that, you have relationships and you get married, and then our relationship changed, because prior to that, I could drop everything. When he'd call me and say, hey, do you want to go do something? Yes. Uh, absolutely, let's go do that. And he knew that I could do that. The problem was is then now all of a sudden I've got a fiance, I have a wife, I have kids, and it wasn't as easy for me to be able uh, to just drop everything. And so uh, it created a dynamic that um, we kind of grew apart a little bit because I didn't have that flexibility. So in looking at my situation uh, and, and wanting to stay in contact with Nick, and Nick was always the one that kept reaching out to me. Uh, what we did is we figured out, okay, it just it may look different than what it used to be, but we wanted to have that connection. So what we started doing is Nick, uh, he likes going out to eat, so we started uh, going to dinner together. And it was something as sometimes it's just us, sometimes it's with the family. And then Nick would start coming over and he'd spend the night with me. And when uh, my, my family knew that when Nick came over, we would do some stuff together, but that was wrestling night. So we would pull up YouTube and it depended on what he was doing at the time, what, what, he, what mood he was in. Uh, those are the wrestlers we watched that evening and we stayed up late. Uh, and sometimes Eli, my son, would join us, uh, maybe watch a pay-per-view together, uh, and then we'd spend the night, and usually it was a Saturday night, and then he would join me uh, here at the church on Sunday. Chris's friendship means to me a lot, and we've been good friends for a good while, and I like Chris because he's a good guy, and. All of his kids are nice to me, and uh, I just—he's cool to hang around, around with, and we just go to a lot of places together. At one point, Nick's mom asked me, "Would you mind taking Nick to WrestleMania?" Now, Nick has always been able to go to the local events, but if you know anything about professional wrestling, WrestleMania is epic. It's huge. It's where you want to go. It's where the super fans go. And when she asked me to do this, that was an undertaking because it's not local. It's getting on a plane, it's flying across the United States because it travels, uh, it's a traveling show. And in looking at that situation and, and talking with my wife, I said yes. And one of the reasons that I did is because when Nick is here, Nick, there's no one that, that loves wrestling more than Nick. And so Nick stands out. Uh, when Nick is making his, uh, you know, the, the wrestling signs and wooing and things, people look his direction going, okay, what is he doing? When he's at WrestleMania, Nick doesn't stand out at all. Actually, Nick, there are people, when he meets them, they love it just as much as he does. And it is the one time of the year that Nick is just like everyone else. 
and for me to be able to give him that opportunity and to then be able to see that firsthand, uh, it fills my bucket. So there's a lot of people that follow me on Facebook uh, that know Nick and they know that uh, come the beginning of April every year, we're traveling to WrestleMania and so they, they can't wait to see, okay, where are they going, what are they gonna do? And so what I do for those people is I document, I post something each night, here's what we did. Uh, and a couple years ago, I had the opportunity, we had a layover and I had some time to take my thoughts because when you spend five days with someone, you really start to see them a little bit differently versus a couple hours here and there. And I, I feel like that Nick, uh, Nick doesn't get a lot of credit to where um, people look at me and go, oh, you do this for Nick, but Nick and I are buddies. And, and I think Nick deserves some credit. And in one of the writings, I closed it by saying this, and I think this is important. As I documented each night with him on Facebook and looked at the previous year's WrestleMania post, I'm filled with joy, joy that I have Nick as a friend. There may have been many comments on my posts about me being a, a good friend to Nick, but he's a good friend to me too, and he deserves credit. Through the years, I've, I've had countless stories with Nick that bring a smile to my face, some that I cannot share. In our entire friendship, Nick has always accepted me for who I am. He has loved me for me, not the polished version I present in public. Now, he will never be that friend for me that I call for advice, discuss my professional aspirations or wax philosophies, but I don't need that from him. I have other friends in my life that I can connect with in those ways. With Nick, I can relax and have some laughs. He reminds me not to take myself too seriously. With him, my inner kid comes out. So as I reminisce here waiting our connecting flight, I'm thankful that God allowed our paths to cross to have a friend like Nick. We all need a Nick in our lives. Amazing, what an amazing story of friendship, isn't it? Good morning, friends here in the worship center, in the chapel and online. I'm relatively new to Crossroads. Like my colleague John Heflick, who spoke last week, I too joined staff just last year. Up on the screen is a photograph of my immediate family. We are still in the process of relocating from Lansing, Michigan to Evansville, and I hope that soon one day we'll be all to here worshiping as one family. I am already very grateful for the warm and generous welcome extended to us as we start our service here at Crossroads. My journey has taken me across three continents, and as culturally appropriate, I have names from each of those places. A Nigerian name, Bamidele, where I was born, an Indian one, Anil, where I grew up, and one that reflects 2,000 years of Christian heritage and many generations of Christ followers in India, a name from scripture, Matthew. I serve on our church's global leadership team with 14 other men and women. You may recognize the names of most of them, if not all of them, on the screen. If you don't know them, they each are leaders worth getting to know, especially if you want to learn more about Crossroads global engagement with missions. Our church already has a significant history of global engagement, and we are prayerfully excited about what the Lord has in store for us as a church with our 17 global partners and nine partnerships. If you were to ask me what I sense the future holds about Crossroads missions, 
I would ask you for a long conversation at your favorite coffee shop. There is so much to share. But let me share one new discovery that recently gripped our hearts. A few months ago, when I was in conversation with our friends at Pioneer Bible Translators, I learned to my great surprise that there were 400 deaf languages worldwide. What we occasionally see here in the States is American Sign Language, ASL, which, by the way, is totally different from British Sign Language. Their next step sentence stopped me in my tracks. Scripture is available in only one of the 400 sign languages, and that language is American Sign Language. And most of the global deaf cannot read. Maybe with our collective involvement and God's help, we can help move the dial to two or three translated sign languages in the next few years. What do you think? If interested in knowing more about Crossroads and our global missions adventure, or even sharing what you sense the Lord may be doing in in you with regards to global missions, please talk to any one of those names on the screen or send me an email at global at cccgo.com. Before I am reprimanded for recruiting the whole church for global missions instead of speaking on hospitality, let's move on. As we launch into examining the scriptures together, let's pray. Father, we are grateful you're here with us, and we are here with each other, together gathered to worship you, to encourage one another, and to receive from you. Send us your word, Lord. Refresh us. Revive us as we open up scripture. Give us what we need for this week to live in love like Jesus in our troubled world. We desire to be your witnesses wherever we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of months ago, the preaching team met to design the sermon series to help us reassess how we real love our neighbors in these unfamiliar, unsettled times. Phil got the Hebrew concept hesed, loving kindness, love for the long haul. John was assigned another Hebrew core value, shalom, peace, whole and complete, love wide. And then they looked around the table for the next person for the biblical value of hospitality, philozenia. I was not present, and someone came up with a bright idea. I think Matthew would be great to share from his global perspective. I tell you, Leadership 101, don't miss meetings. <laughs> this meeting, this morning, let's together wrestle with the question. Is there a difference between ordinary, normal hospitality that you and I practice and are familiar with? Or is there something unique about biblical hospitality, philozenia? My family is probably like yours regarding hospitality, a cultural expectation to be welcoming and kind, especially to family and friends. Hospitality for many of us, it's an extra place at dinner, best behavior kids, an overnight guest or visiting family, clean up the house kids. From our cultural context growing up in India as boys, we were three of us brothers, we were trained to always offer at least a glass of water to anyone who comes to our home. 
And if anyone came to our home needing financial assistance, mom had a small bowl that always had change. And if there wasn't any money there, we were to give rice or wheat from the storage bins. Our family's forms of hospitality growing up were characterized by generosity, preparedness, and a posture of welcome. Be ready and always say yes. Hospitality takes many forms across the world, often dictated by cultural norms and values. For example, you should do your best to avoid leaving food on your plate in Turkey and Japan because this signals to your host that you didn't like the meal. In places including Iran and China, however, an empty plate is a signal that you haven't had your fill. In Georgia, the country, not the state, wine, not sweet tea, is meant to be consumed all at once during a toast at the end of the meal and not throughout. In many parts of the world, it is respectful to take off your shoes at the door when you're entering someone's home as a guest. Hospitality is one of those values that's affirmed here in the United States too, especially in the South. In its ordinary sense, it's neither particularly Jewish nor Christian. However, Scripture and Jesus especially take ordinary concepts, you have heard it said, and add new meaning, but I say, often turning common ideas into upside-down kingdom concepts. Let's look at a couple of passages from the Old Testament and New Testament and figure out what the Bible says about hospitality and how we may respond. Genesis 18 is one of the more significant texts on hospitality in the Old Testament. Though a bit long, let's read it. This passage can be found on page 11 in the Bible in front of you or follow along on your device or the side screens. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Here, Abraham graciously welcomes three unexpected visitors on a hot day, and with, and with Sarah and their servant, hurriedly prepares a lavish meal for them. Abraham, it seems, slowly recognizes the presence of the divine, especially when the Lord speaks in verse 13. It is in this context of extending generous hospitality to three strangers that Abraham receives 
the promise of a son. When God shows up, especially in the context of extended hospitality, there is often promise and blessing. Another well-known hospitality passage is that from 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16. The widow of Zarephath provides hospitality for Elijah while facing starvation herself. And God, through Elijah, miraculously provides her household with food until the drought passes. Unlike the example of Abraham, the widow did not have any food, just a bit of flour and a little bit of olive oil. In this context of willing but meager hospitality, God still shows up and another miracle happens. In most Old Testament stories, guests brought their hosts into close contact with God. And this often resulted in other forms of blessing as well, a longed-for child, marriage, protection, or provision. In the Old Testament, the hospitality that God seems to be redefining is loving the vulnerable, the least, and also the stranger, those outside our normal circles. And that the person offering hospitality, whether it be generous in Abraham's case or measured in that of the widow of Zarephath, the person offering hospitality is the one blessed, not the guest. We should not miss the obvious. The practice of hospitality, when reframed to be God-centered and inclusive of the stranger, is transformational for the guest and the host. Another motivation for hospitality in the Old Testament comes from Israel's experience as strangers and aliens in Egypt, where they experienced the opposite of hospitality, brutal oppression and servitude, bonded labor and slavery. They were not to forget the horror of that experience, but to treat all foreigners, aliens, and strangers with hospitality just as and because the Lord cared for them in the desert. When we realize that what we have and consider ours, mine, is ultimately the Lord's, our posture more readily switches to that of a steward, ready to do the master's will. Hospitality, then, is a formational practice that has at its core an understanding of ourselves as the strangers and aliens here on earth the possessions we have as his, for his purposes, dare we even say for others. Each of us, with our strengths and limitations, as his instruments of blessing. Part of God's promise to Abraham was that he and his offspring would be a blessing to others, to the nations, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Let's turn to the New Testament. In multicultural, multi-ethnic, then-occupied Israel, Jesus' ministry of welcoming the lost was often expressed in his eating with people, spending time with people who ordinarily would have been excluded from fellowship. His willingness to be their guest often provoked negative feedback. Jesus challenges the conventional understanding of hospitality, which assumed reciprocity and focused on just family and friends. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 is a difficult passage. It can be a downer, but let's read it. On page 695 in the Bible in front of you. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. It is clear from Jesus' own words, the red-letter part of the gospel text, that entry into the kingdom is tied to the practice of hospitality, especially to the least of these. I remember an incident from my high school days in India when I was in 12th grade. My classmates and I were studying like mad to get high qualifying marks so we could get into professional schools. Only the top 10% would make it. That year, a scandal broke. The university discovered that some parents had bribed the university registrar to get their kids' marks adjusted upwards for a pain-free admission. Front page news inch-high headlines in the local papers. One of those parents lived just two miles from us. I was furious that people in our community had the gall to short-circuit the established process. In my righteous indignation, I hopped onto my motorbike to drive past the house of this family to try get a glimpse of this, these folk who dared corrupt our educational system. And outside that house, I saw my dad's car parked, the only one. He had gone to be present with this family who were publicly shamed as the scandal broke. He went to share a cup of tea, to be present, to listen, to pray. He spent a couple of hours with that family, not just that day, but the rest of the week. He never told me what transpired. He probably knew I was too self-righteous to even hear him, let alone that understand that it is sometimes the shamed, the broken, the sinners, even those who break the law and should be punished, who need a bit of Jesus' real love. Let us look at one more New Testament passage, the first verse of the 13th chapter of Hebrews, page 845. It is in this verse 
that define it is this verse that defines the New Testament understanding of hospitality. We see the usage of philosenia in the second sentence. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Today, we keep both ideas in play. Loving one another as brothers and sisters, Philadelphia, and loving the stranger, Philozenia. Both together are important, not either or. Therefore, the first expansion of our understanding of biblical hospitality is that it is transformational for those involved. It is holy work, and he shows up. The second idea is that hospitality extends beyond entertainment of family, friends, Christian brothers and sisters, Philadelphia, to opening the circle of our friendships to include the stranger, Philozenia. By the way, who is a stranger? Anyone not yet in a circle of real love. The stranger may be near us, among us, on the periphery, may be differently abled like Nick and many like him who attend Crossroads, but don't feel comfortable here yet. Does there seem to be an opportunity for a new special needs ministry here? The stranger may also be a newcomer to Crossroads. Our stats say that over 40% of you began attending Crossroads for the very first time after we reopened post-COVID. If you are yet to friend someone or to be included in a small group, please reach out to us again. This is the house of God. It's your home as well as ours, and you are welcome here. The stranger also may be a person who just moved into your neighborhood or joined your team at work. Sometimes the strangers are around the world. A few years ago, I had the joy of visiting the first church among an unreached people group in China. We rented bicycles in groups of two and three from various rentals in the city and cycled for over an hour till we reached an empty field in the countryside. Obviously, all of this for security reasons. The young church of approximately 30 predominantly young adults gathered in a circle and started to pray and sing. The missionary who helped disciple these young adults stood quietly next to me and my traveling companion about 50 feet away outside the circle. I was not feeling that great being excluded from the worship circle. I leaned over and asked the missionary, if my friend and I were not here, would you be part of that circle? She said, no, I always stand outside the circle. She went on to add that if she were in the circle, they would default to her as the worship leader. She occasionally came and watched so she would be situationally aware if the leaders were ever to ask her about what happened or had questions. Leadership lesson number two, release others into leadership, then stand back and encourage. Anyway, back to the worship circle. As they prayed in their local dialect with passion and loudly, I picked up the words Pakistan, Iran, Uzbekistan. Curious, I again leaned over and asked, what's going on? These young adults who had never traveled outside of their tiny province were praying that the gospel that they had recently heard and believed, the gospel that had rewritten their animistic Tibetan Buddhist worldview, 
transforming their lives. The gospel that had welcomed them into a new circle of friendship with Jesus and each other would come alive in all its glory and power in those countries. Wow. After praying, they started singing. I detected tonal changes. Again from the periphery, I leaned over and asked a third time. Three responded. They were singing songs in the three languages of the three unreached, unengaged people groups in the next province. The missionary added, pointing out to two girls, those two are going to nursing school and the one next to them to culinary school so that in three years, they will be able to travel north to those unreached people groups to live and love as surely Jesus would. And those two were the leaders of the group. They were sending their best as missionaries. Loving the stranger takes preparation, courage, and a willingness to say yes to Jesus when he says, come and follow me. Hospitality is not just for those with the gift. It is an invitation to stretch our hands and our hearts a bit wider, to open our messy, imperfect lives to friendships outside of our normal circles, to help the stranger become a neighbor, a neighbor, a friend. And maybe one day, the friend, a brother or sister in Christ. The author of The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield, says, Christians don't love people more because they're Christians. Christians love people longer because they're Christians. Our prayer is that one day soon, the world will peek into our dining rooms, our living rooms, into our households, into our weekend service and say, hang on there. Check out those people at crossroads in the Evansville area. Those are Republicans and Democrats, black, white, and all the colors in between, rich and poor, old and young. There are differences, but they love each other. They really love each other. Must be Jesus. Can only be Jesus. What are some small incremental steps we can take to realize that vision? Our egos may long for more extravagant ways of addressing the world's ills, but we commit ourselves to the small ways. Number one, gather your family, your small group, your household, your friends who you hang out with, and ask the Lord, give us eyes to see who we can welcome into our circle to share a meal with, to listen to, and to learn from. Be careful. He will answer that prayer. An invitation to someone is an, is an expression of respect and recognition. I see you. I hear you. I honor you. I welcome you. You are important to God, and you are important to me. Check out this video from our Global Missions Awareness class called Momentum Yes on how to start and have a simple conversation. So first off, no matter what you ask, you will probably say something where you stick your foot in your mouth, and it's okay if you're doing it in a way that cares about the person. Easy things to ask about. I like to eat. I start out talking about food. Food goes into family and talking about. Tell me about your family, open-ended. and. And that goes into family gatherings. Talk about holidays. Do you celebrate Christmas where you live? 
what does that look like? What other holidays do you have that you celebrate? And to me, those are, those are really easy things. Usually we're talking over a meal, and then as the, the meal winds down, a lot of times we clean up, we hang out in the kitchen, and a lot of times later on, we, we play games in the evening and just have fun doing that. People ask me so many questions when I came to America. Somewhere funny, somewhere interesting, somewhere weird. Like people would ask me, is this your first time to see snow? They would ask me, what do you think about American food? What's the meaning of your name? They would ask me, how come you're able to speak English? And I had to explain to say, back home in Malawi, we speak both Chichewa and English. So it's okay to um, good friendships with people that are from a different background by asking them questions. As you're asking questions and beginning to better understand someone, don't hesitate to use that little bit you've learned a lot. This means using a few words of someone's language, eating the way they eat. Simple things like that have the potential to hugely deepen the relationship. Pay attention to what they do and behave in a way that doesn't offend them. Little things like dressing conservatively if that matches the way your friend dresses or taking off your shoes when you enter their home if that's what they do. Another important consideration is being careful with gender interactions if that's important in the culture of your friend. These things can allow you infinitely greater opportunities to build relationships that could give you an opportunity to share a glimpse of Jesus. By the way, if you want to know more about unreached, unengaged people groups and the difference between the two, may I suggest signing up for Momentum? Yes. At cccgo.com info, you will find more information about Momentum Yes. Again, step number one, gather small, love deep. Step number two, another step is to prepare for hospitality. Commit to inviting someone from your neighborhood for a meal. Ask your single friends or your kids to participate, even to be those doing the inviting. Or set aside $10 and a block of two hours to take someone out for coffee. Make them feel welcomed, listened to, get to know their story. Strangers don't fall from the sky. We must seek them out. In the first century, hospitality tore down the boundaries irrelevant in the growing church. The language of welcome and hospitality was centered around the presence of Christ, the work of Christ, not on status, wealth, vocation, disposable income, or spare time. Make small, intentional investments towards deep love. Step number three, sign up in the atrium after the service for a Love Our City activity. If you're sitting at the end of a pew, would you kindly pass those Love Our City cards to the center? We have added many new opportunities this week because of last week's great response. Thank you so much. These opportunities help us take those first small steps to know the vulnerable, the marginalized, the least among us to provide for their needs. Redefine this opportunity in your mind not only as an act of loving service, but as an opportunity to learn, to friend, to discover somebody else's story. Remember to invite them to our evening gathering on August 7th. They will get to meet us, and they may be happy to check out a different church, one that skips Sunday morning service, serves others, and likes to celebrate. Take slow, lingering steps that lead to deep relationships.
Step number four. Later this year, when we launched the 2023 redesigned global trips as learning experiences, plan to come along not just to serve, but to meet new friends in global places, to hear their stories of God at work, to share a meal with them, to share their joys and challenges, and to see what the Lord can and will do through our global friendship with them. Hospitality provides the context for humility to recognize that today that faraway stranger has a gift for us in their being created in the image of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the unity and the diversity of the church and leans towards an essential element of the church. As the church, we need each other. Sometimes the better question is not what do they do over there or what do they need over there, but a self-awareness of what we need, that we need the stranger in Evansville and in France, in Kenya and in Japan, in the United Arab Emirates, for our own flourishing. What do we need? What do they have that we don't? New questions. Our transformation and spiritual vitality is dependent on the plurality and diversity of our relationships, and that's radical. Step out. A lonely, lost world awaits Jesus, awaits us as we seek out strangers around us and around the world who are yet to experience the generous, undeserved hospitality extended towards us in Jesus. There are many of you who have stories of hospitality for the stranger Philozenia, as well as Faithful Brotherly Love, Philadelphia, for your friends and family. Thank you for your faithfulness. Biblically, biblical hospitality already exists in our body. May it increase. Amen. Love long, love wide, love deep.